G'day everyone, nice to see you. If you don't know me, my name's Jason. I'm usually at the Bexley North Congregation with the newbies who I've noticed saw I was preaching and left. So that's not good. I don't know what's going No, I'm sure they just heard the sermon this morning and thought we don't need to listen to it again. But we'll still pray for them later, won't we? I don't know who's praying for them, but we'll pray for them anyway. Uh, how about I pray for us now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we can read it that you teach us out of it. We pray today would be a day when your treasures are again revealed and that we're shaped to live for you and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, a passage like this one makes me want to protest. A fair day's work for a fair day's pay. A fair day's work for a fair day's pay. A fair day's work for a... Uh, oh, a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. All right, you're with me on that one. I don't know why you're so slow. Maybe you didn't know what I was talking about. I was talking about that parable. It makes me want to protest. But maybe you're thinking that's not my angle on that one. How about this one? No pay for bludgers. No pay for bludgers. No pay for bludgers. No pay for bludgers. Gee, you guys mustn't support that one either. All right, we'll try a different one. Maybe the parable is actually about... Equal pay for all, equal pay for all, equal pay for all. Wow, not much response there, was it? All right, we'll come back to these protest signs. It makes me want to protest because, well, it seems to me there's an injustice going on here. I don't know if it seems like that to you or not. Uh, In this parable, it raises my hackles and maybe yours as well. It makes us ask what's right and what's wrong. And even it makes us ask, Is the kingdom of heaven unjust? Is the kingdom of heaven unjust? Now, this is one of our postcards from the kingdom of heaven parables. I think this is our last one at Church in the Bank. Uh, And we've we've missed the one that led up to this one. So I'm going to have to fill you in with some details as we go along, but that's okay. But here again, Jesus sets the cat amongst the pigeons. Once again, he challenges us. How are we going to respond? Do we have ears to hear him? So I want to read this passage again. I want you to listen. And what do you hear? So I'm going to read from verse 1. So a landowner went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. To those men, he said, you also go to my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and at three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. Well, you also go to my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So the first ones came and they assumed they would get more. But they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day and the burning heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Don't you agree with, didn't you agree with me on one denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my business? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Now, I don't know what you hear there, but do you hear an injustice? 
If you've been following this series along, each time Jesus has been asking us, what do you hear? Do you have ears to hear? But not just ears to hear, he wants you to hear and do. All the time, hear and do. How will you respond? Now this is one of those parables I reckon we get caught up in the details and we sometimes miss out on what we're supposed to do. Because it's actually quite exciting reading this parable, isn't it? Uh, It's one of those parables where our gut feeling can get in the way and we can think, hey, that just doesn't seem right to me. Something's wrong there. So I reckon we hear it in one of two ways. So I'm going to give you those two ways here. Is this how you hear it? Do you hear hardworking Joe? He's a family man. He's a common man. He wakes up Monday morning in the dark and the cold. His kids are hungry. Life's tough, really tough for him. He trudges out to his meeting place with the workers Someone picks him out of a whole group of blokes. They pick him and off he goes and he works for 12 hours. It's hard work, but he doesn't complain. That's Joe. During the day, some of the bludgers who couldn't be bothered turning up on time, they turn up and they get to work as well. Old Joe, he doesn't complain. He knows at the end of the day, he's going to get paid more than the rest of them and it'll be okay. So he soldiers on. When the pay's dealt out, well, Joe sees the bludgers getting paid the same as him and he thinks, that's unfair. It drives him nuts and he goes, it's not fair, no pay for bludgers and he protests. Is that how you hear the story? Is that how you hear about this, this average old guy? Or are you like this? Do you hear it as a story for the poor and the downtrodden? Do you hear Joe hard knocks? It's cold, it's Monday morning, Joe's hand hurts because last year he hurt it in a work accident. It takes him an hour to bandage it. His kids are hungry. He has to get to work. He gets there only five minutes late. They've all gone. They've left him as usual. They always pick the big, strong guys first. They get there early. They get picked. He misses out. Life's tough. But in despair, he thinks, I'm just going to hang out here. By the end of the day, he gets an hour's work. And he thinks, okay, that's a little bit of rice on the table for dinner. That's okay. But then, unbelievably, the landowner says, you know what? Have a full day's pay. And Joe, oh, hard knock Joe, everything in his life is terrible. He goes away rejoicing. Equal pay for me, he says. He goes into his family and they all rejoice. So there's a standalone story. It invites you to read into the characters, doesn't it? You feel that injustice. You feel those examples. But this is a great example of a parable that's not about gut feel. It's not about your first gut reaction, the first thing that you feel. That's because when we read this, we read it with glasses, special glasses. Have you seen Google glasses? Has anyone seen Google glasses? Google glasses, you put them on and you get to filter the world according to Google. So you've kind of got Google eyes. That sounds really funny, doesn't it? Especially at 8.30, you've got glasses that make you have Google eyes. They have no idea what you're talking about. Google eyes. Google eyes are custom glasses. But we all wear filters, glasses, things that are shaped by our Bible knowledge, our Christian maturity, your accumulated experiences, the suffering that you've faced. All sorts of things make up these glasses that you look at the world with and shape how you read things. And so you could read this perspective as an African living in a slum. You could read this from the perspective of people in a sumba with no hope who just want to fly away. You could read this as a citizen of Spain where the babies are and 50% of people can't get jobs. It's incredible. But we're not supposed to read it by gut feel. It's just like this ethical series we just finished. We're not supposed to read the Bible by gut feel. We're supposed to read the Bible carefully and apply it to our lives. Apply it to the big issues. 
And so what is the Bible actually saying here? We have to look at the details. What is it actually saying? I think it's telling us a story of responsible workers, of a generous boss, and of human jealousy. So have a look with me. Have a look at the details again that we just read. What do we learn about why the particular workers are chosen there? What do we learn about why they're chosen? Nothing, do we? We don't know why they're chosen. They're just chosen. Verses 1 to 5 talks about them going out and they're chosen. What do we learn about the work attitude of these guys? How they work during the day, regardless of how long they work? Nothing. We don't learn anything about their work attitude, except that when they're paid, the guys that worked all day react to that. But nothing else about how they worked. Now, this blows a few holes in our kind of gut feel thing that relies upon us knowing the workers and what they're thinking. We don't know that. What do the details actually tell us? Well, they tell us there's work to be done in verse 1. The workers responsibly do it, and they're paid according to their agreements. That's it. No injustice is done. The vineyard owner, he's, he's very generous. He overpays some. That's okay as well, because it's his money. He can do that if he wants to. It's a free world. Why are the full-day workers upset? Well, that's there in verse 14, isn't it? They're jealous. They're, je- they're human beings. They're jealous. They look at the other guys getting paid more than they should have, and they think, we should have got that too. They want more than they agreed. So this is neither a story about injustice that's done to the full-day workers, nor is it a story about the underprivileged and how they should be treated. They're just all workers. All workers. Now, we're a church that's known as a Bible church. We like to think of ourselves as that. But this is one of those times where you can't just get your Bible and think you know what it's saying or treat the Bible like a textbook that you think you know what it's saying, but it's sitting kind of up on your shelf like that, never opened and never read. This is the word of God. We've got to to look at what's Jesus' point. What is his point here? It's not about injustice, at least not in the way that we kind of gut reaction think. Now, before you lose heart, because I like protesting. Did you like protesting? Some of you did, I know. Shaking a sign, getting mad. It's good fun. Before you lose heart, there is injustice in here. But I don't think it's the sort that we're going to protest about. The kingdom of heaven is an unjust place. That's what's in this passage. But we have to go and find out why that is. Why is the kingdom of heaven unjust? And to get there, we need to do some work. So I want you to keep looking at your Bibles. Have a look now at the last verse of chapter 19. Now, the chapter breaks. You've got a little bit of white space in there. It's a little bit difficult to see what's going on. Uh, That shouldn't be kind of so far apart. Verse 30 there, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Then after that, straight away, no gap, although there is one printed, no gap. Jesus talks about this vineyard situation. And then verse 16, no gap. So the last will be first and the first last. I don't know if you can see what Jesus is doing. He's kind of putting this parable together with a similar sort of statement on either end. That verse 30 of chapter 19, it's summarizing what came before. It's summarizing all about the parable of the rich young man, which is why we read it. But it also introduces the workers in the vineyard. Uh, so 2016 concludes how it is that the last will be first and the first will be last. So these two parables, they fit together. Now, unfortunately, you guys didn't get to hear the one about the first parable. So I have to just summarize it a little bit. Last week in some of the churches, we looked at that parable. It was the story of a rich young man coming to Jesus. And he said, I've done all the commandments. When he actually listed out the commandments, he only listed five of them. Jesus, Jesus said five of the commandments that related to loving your neighbor. And this guy 
was challenged. What's your actual God? And it turns out that his God was money. He wasn't prepared to love God more than his money, and he went away sad. He was a guy that seemed to be first in the world, this rich young man. He had the money. In those times, someone with the money was blessed by God. They, they were, everyone looked at them and thought, God loves you because he gives you money. So, first, you must be first in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says, no, no, no. In the kingdom of heaven, riches don't count for much, not earthly ones. If you love that more than God, you're going the wrong way. You'll go away sad. That's what we looked at in that parable for some of us. And in Matthew's gospel, it goes on. Matthew, through his gospel, goes on to say that just because you're Jewish, just because you've got blood from Abraham in your veins, doesn't mean you get to get into heaven. He says that to leaders. He says that to people who are out to get him. But people there, the Jewish nation, who seem to be first, don't actually get to be first into heaven. Not if they don't love the Lord their God. Some of those who are first, just like them, will be last, even to the point of missing out. Now that's the last parable that leads into this one. But as I said, they go together, so you have to, you have to know a bit about the last one to get this one. Today's parable shifts its focus. So stay with me. Jesus was speaking uh, just in verses 29 and, uh, 28 and 29 in chapter 19 about the benefits of being a Christian, of, of sticking it out with him. If you stick it out with him, there are many benefits in this world and in the one to come. And today's parable, he's saying to this new group, these people who stick it out, he's saying to those people, this is the way you should live. This is what life will be like for people who stick it out and stay in the kingdom of heaven. This is life for the new first so that you don't turn into the last again. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is doing in here. So he's, so he's talking to this new first, new first, and he says there in verse 1, the landowner is actually God. So this is his interpretation, the interpretation. The landowner is God. He's the one that owns the vineyard. He appoints his workers. He's the one that can pay his workers whatever he wants because it's his business. He chooses to. The denarius in verse 2 there, that's the pay. That's the reward of salvation. God freely gives his salvation to all of his workers. Regardless of how long they've served him, regardless if they came in late even, they get that pay of salvation if they respond to his offer. And the workers, of course, are God's people. So they're the ones that heard the landowner calling to them, saying, come and work for me. They were just hanging around, and they did. They went and followed him. And when they became his workers, they responded to the promise of salvation. We know them now to be Christians. These are people that trust in the Lord, those who love God with their whole hearts, those that don't say, I'd rather love my money and run away, or those that don't have another God other than the Lord. That's what this, this parable is about. So what's the point? What's the point of the parable? If we can't protest, what's the point of this whole parable for us? I think we see it in the reaction at the very end of the workers in the parable. So it's actually a warning. It's a warning against what they did. And it's a warning and a reminder. So for this new group, this new first, no longer last, it's a warning and reminder. Now I put in your outline a little sentence there so you can know what the warning and reminder are about. Do you want to write this in and then I'll show you why this is the case. So the point is it's a warning against jealousy. So against jealousy, and it's a reminder of God's incredible grace. Now you might say, how can this be a warning against jealousy? And why did he have to warn them anyway? What's that about? 
Well, I think he's doing it for two reasons. And you actually don't have to read very far to find out. The first one comes just in verse 23 to 28. Just a little bit down the chapter, you see the disciples. They become all jealous. Uh, they want to know who gets to sit at the left of Jesus and the right of Jesus. They want to know about their positions of prominence in the kingdom. In other words, they're jealous about who gets what position in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knew this was on the radar. He knew what was going to happen. Jesus also knew the whole world was about to change. The whole world. So these Jewish people, they had the promises of God, yet in coming months and coming years, they'd see all these Gentiles coming in late. All these Gentiles who'd never been there at the start with all the promises, all the Jewish people had been through, they'd come in and inherit the promises of God. It didn't even seem fair. They'd be jealous of it. And in fact, if you read through various parts of the New Testament, you follow the battle, this struggle of Jewish people looking back, looking back to the old ways instead of looking forward to their new life in Christ. They were jealous for those old ways. Now, jealousy's human, isn't it? We all get jealous. I get jealous, you get jealous. It's ugly, but we do it. But the kingdom of heaven, it's not a place for jealousy. That's what Jesus is saying here. We all serve the same master. So how can we be jealous? We serve at his good pleasure. And so he warns us, don't be jealous. Now, how does that uh, extend to our situation today? It's not like we're battling with the Jewish Christian early days of the, of the New Testament. How does it extend to us? Well, we're humans, aren't we? We get jealous all the time. In church life, it really does affect us. So there's, I reckon there's two main ways that we're affected. The first one is being jealous about things you don't have. We do this all the time. We think God's unfair to me. It's not fair, God. But this kind of thinking, this kind of thinking, it's not fair to me, it's just saying to God, when he says to the rich young man, go away sad, it's saying you're wrong, God. Instead, we're supposed to trust in God. Don't be jealous for what you don't have. So that might be money. That might be clothes. That might be cars. That might be houses or family. It might be status or fame. It could be anything, really. You name it, you can be jealous about it. There are people all over the world being jealous about stuff, dreaming up ways to get rich, to beat the system, to outgamble the house, to beat the tax man, because we're jealous. Actually, if you're someone right now doing your taxes, can I say to you, be different to everyone else? Be happy to pay your taxes, because the taxes that you pay help our society to be compassionate. This time of year, you hear so many people whinging about paying tax. I love it. We've got great roads, we've got great infrastructure, but most, most of all, we get to help the poor. There's a safety net there. Pay your taxes with joy. Don't be jealous for worldly things. That's not Christian. Jesus promised you a better treasure in heaven. And he told that to the rich young man. He says it to us as well. And perhaps more in our church life, we have jealousy amongst ourselves. And this is crazy. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we can be jealous of each other. Jealous of other people in the Christian family that seem to have more than we have. Maybe you've done this. If you've been around for a while, you might be someone who's even bitter about this. You've watched people come and go, but you've been around. Surely your service of our church, surely your time here means something. Surely you should get the biggest say because you've been here, you've served the hardest. And yet belonging to God means that he's chosen his people. And this kind of thinking, this jealousy would tear us apart. And I reckon it's one of the great and humbling things of the Christian life that he 
God keeps growing us in maturity, bringing new people in, shaping them and changing them, and changing our churches all the time. Jealous Christians are the ones that say, I don't like that. I don't want my church to change. I like it exactly how it is. Jealous Christians are the ones that say, I want my Bible study group to be the same five people for the next 40 years because that'll be awesome. And if a non-believer came into my home group, that'd be the worst thing ever because it would change. We have this great dynamic. Jealous Christians, jealous for the old ways, hanging on to them. You might be someone that feels like, who feels jealous about being looked over at church, you know, thinking that someone else knows Luther much better than you. They have the inside. You might not feel happy that the roles you play in church aren't the good ones. You might prefer to be appreciated more publicly. You might feel like being on a cleaning roster is just pathetic compared with what others get to do. This kind of jealousy, it's terrible in our churches. It's terrible when Jesus says here, verse 13, he says, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Take what is yours. See, who gives the gifts? Who gives the people? Isn't it God? Don't be jealous. Not in our way. Not in our community. That's the warning side. Don't be jealous amongst ourselves. But I think the other side is a bigger one. That's the reminder in here. It's an awesome reminder. It's the reminder of God's grace. Did you see that in there? The reminder of God's grace. See, all the workers in the kingdom, what are they worth? Well, they're worth salvation. They get their denarius of salvation. God initiates the contact. He, he talks to them. He offers them the job. He offers them the reward. And they get salvation. There's no reference here to the quality of their work. There's no reference here to how long they've been serving or how well they've been serving. This parable just says, you've been invited into the kingdom. Rejoice. Rejoice, you're in the kingdom. Accept the denarius of salvation. So that's the crazy grace that's in this one. You might, you might find that such a great comfort if you're someone who couldn't lead a Bible study group or someone who feels like they're the world's worst evangelist or feels like your sin is just tripping you up at every step, entangling you. Or if you feel like being a Christian, it's just hard work. It's wearisome. It's hard. Even for you, God's generosity and salvation belongs to you. We all are paid that price. Just as the great ones, the apostles, or, or the Billy Grahams and John Pipers and Tim Kellers of our age receive salvation, so do you. We're all equal in God's grace. After that, of course, it's up to God what he does with it. If he wants to call two people into his kingdom, one to be insanely wealthy and a Christian who inherits eternal life because they're great at being generous, well, fantastic. Or if on the other hand, he calls you to be poor and serve hard for the rest of your life, fantastic. Eternal life. That's God's grace, no matter who. That's, of course, if you trust in Jesus. Now, if he, our job in all this is to just keep, in God, keep trusting in God. There's this great simplicity here about being a worker for God. Keep working. Keep trusting. Keep following Jesus. Cast off the jealousy. It doesn't matter. Work faithfully for Jesus in this world and look forward to the kingdom of heaven because it's coming and it'll be fully revealed. So this parable, it seems like a parable about injustice. It just grabs at your heart. But actually, it's a warning against jealousy. It's a challenge. And it's a reminder of the awesome grace of God. Now that leaves us with the loose end. We like to protest. 
I said before that there's still an injustice in all of this. What, what's the injustice? It can't be the parable. That's what we just looked at. There's no injustice in the parable. Well, actually, the kingdom of heaven is not a just place. It's the kingdom of heaven that has the injustice. It's this. It's that if you respond to Jesus, if you just trust him, then you get to experience the craziest injustice of all time. That's the injustice. See, in Monopoly, you can get a bank error in your favor. In real life, you never get that, right? The banks never have an error in your favor. When God is involved, you can have this incredible logic that you who have rejected God, said no to him all your life, can then be declared right before him. So that's not fair. That's crazy. You don't deserve that. You who are unimpressive. Sorry, just generally. Not any particular person. So normal. You've been granted a seat at the king's table. That's not fair. That's crazy. You who have come, well, nowhere near close to a perfect life. You've been told, doesn't matter. Follow Jesus anyway. You're very welcome. You don't deserve that, and it's not fair. But actually, do you want to have fair treatment in the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to be treated fairly? Not me. I don't want to be treated fairly. I love this incredible injustice. Trust Jesus, and you're saved. See, that's not something to protest about, is it? That's not something to go to the streets on. It's something to go and rejoice in. Maybe you could say this. Maybe you could go... No justice for me, I've been set free. Except you don't want to do it like that, like a protest. No justice for me, I've been set free. Come along, anyone. Or maybe, maybe you could say, this one, God's grace, that's enough for me. God's grace is enough for me. I don't know if you could proclaim that from the hilltops, but wouldn't that be good to proclaim? God's grace is enough for me. This is what this parable is about. God's grace is enough for me. Jesus has been challenging us right through this series. How are you going to respond? I want to encourage you and invite you to respond rightly. What are you going to do? Do you have ears to hear? See, the right response, it's to admit that you've done wrong. The right response is to admit you don't deserve the justice. Not God's kind of justice. The right response is to ask him to help you to live the new life in the vineyard as a faithful worker following Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus has been challenging us in this series and we can't leave tonight without having another challenge because the point of this is that you might respond. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer to respond and I'm going to invite you to respond quietly in your heart, in your mind to the Lord God, praying a prayer that you'd be a faithful worker and put your hope in Jesus and get that denarius of salvation. How about I pray for that? Heavenly Father, you own us all, and we've seen that. But I haven't treated you like I should have, and I admit that freely. And so today I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you that you've promised to show me mercy in Jesus, your wonderful grace. Help me to move forward now as a faithful worker in this world, serving you and looking forward to the day when the work is over here and the Lord Jesus returns. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.